is BJ Council. I view the world through the lens of having been followed by a white clerk as a child while shopping in a five and dime. I'm a retired police executive and own UN50, which gives guidance on surviving interactions with police. I'm Harmony Chavis, and I view the world through the lens of one of the most misunderstood and diverse generations in our nation's history. I'm a social worker and a believer of radical kindness and love as modalities of healing. My name is Andrew Council. I view the world through the lens of a generational camera phone. I wake up as a black male and go to bed as a black male. I am surviving this never-ending court case we commonly call life in the best way I know how. So welcome back, everybody, uh, to UN50. Hope everybody had a really uh, good first of the year. There's a lot going on. I saw a meme somewhere that at least we got through the first five days of January and everything was good. Uh, so <laughs> so we, here we are. Uh, and also just want to uh, kind of reiterate some of the stuff that we talked about. And one of the things, uh, and thanks to Harmony, and, and I'll get her to say something in a few minutes, uh, she kind of set the tone for you and 5 especially for the podcast this year, uh, about being compassionate and humane as we move forward and on some of these topics that we talk about. Uh, so thank you for that harmony, uh, the stuff that you've done for us and all well, that conversation you and I had on the first podcast. So I really appreciate it. So how's it going, Harmony? It's good. I'm on my lunch break right now. So if that doesn't show dedication, I don't know what does, um, but yeah. I'm good. Did yeah. you have a good um, MLK day yesterday? Did you do anything special? No, I didn't. I didn't do anything until today. Uh, a friend of mine uh, gave me a call to listen to um, Michael Erickson Dyson. Mike, Michael Eric Dyson, who did a, a speech at the Cathedral, Mass Cathedral or something. I forgot where. He did a really good job. Actually, it was very moving. And he, he was a let, letter to America from, I was based on a letter from St. Paul. Mm. And he did it as if he was writing to America. It's really good. You might oh, want wow. to take a look at it. Yeah. And one of the things that he said was uh, one of the quotes from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Herschel was, few are guilty, but all are responsible. Mm. And for some reason, that just really resonated with me, especially the work that we're doing and especially law enforcement. There are a few folks out there that are guilty, but all of us are responsible for making things better. And I, it, I don't know, I just really like that. So anyway, so that that's kind of where we are. Thanks again. My nephew, uh, again, is not with us tonight. He got an internship. So when he gets here, he has to tell us all about it. Hopefully he'll be here with us the next time that we record. Um, so anyway, want to welcome back. Uh, I think most of you who have been with us or hopefully have listened to our defund police. We, we did that with some of my ex-colleagues. Uh, and we're all retired colleagues now, which is really good. Um, and so what we, uh, they're back, uh, we don't, one person is not here, his name is uh, Terrence Assembly, retired assistant police chief. And um, I have Mr. Jesse Burwell, who I affectionately call Mr. Cash. And then uh, Winslow Forbes, who is also a retired uh, assistant chief. So welcome back guys. Thank you. Thank you. How was your holiday? Cause I hadn't really chatted with either one of you since uh, I think it may be in my email. So, uh, Jesse, how was your Christmas holiday? It was actually great. Uh, my daughter came down from South Carolina and spent oh, about a week with us. Nice. And we, we had a good time. 
Good, good. What'd you guys do for New Year's Eve? Uh, stayed home, watched television. <laughs> did, now, did you stay awake until midnight or you just... I you actually ready? made it. Oh. Uh, a little past midnight. Yes, I did. <laughs> the older you get, it's all about can you make it to 12 o'clock? Can you make it that's, to 12 o'clock? That's right. <laughs> that's uh, right. I, I'm a boomer too. <laughs> exactly. Yep. What's up, Mr. Forbes? How was your Christmas holiday? My Christmas was wonderful. Uh, I was home. And for New Year's, we um, had a church service uh, via Zoom. Mm. So I was up to watch the New Year come in. And then I just kind of relaxed and stayed up and looked at a little television. Did you make it? <laughs> I made it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, I know Harmony made it, so I'm not even going to bother to ask her. I know she Are you it. kidding me? I barely made it. Oh, and- we turned it so I don't I don't have cable. Um, I just use my internet. So I was like, I'm gonna mm-hmm. go to YouTube. And we went to the ball drop and we got to zero and it said ball dropping soon. And then it started counting down again. So I was like, okay, okay, we were wrong. And then it did the same thing. So the ball never dropped. And after <laughs> that I was a little pissed off. So I just went to sleep. I know I was a little nervous. I'm like, what if this is indicative of, of what's to come? This is not a good start. I know, right? I know. I know. So what, what I want to do first, I um, want to ask two questions. I want to ask, the, if I remember how I wrote the question, what I want to ask each of you um, is um, now that you've lived, you know, you've survived 2020. <laughs> We've all lived through 2020. And because you've lived, through 20 February, who, who are you now because of that? You know, um, because everybody, we've all experienced something. So having lived through 2020, Jesse, who do you think you are now? Wow. I mean, 2020 was a really uh, rough year, but I have to say that, you know, uh, God has truly blessed me and my family uh, no one in my immediate family uh, got sick mm-hmm. or died from COVID. Um, and uh, it's, it really has altered uh, the way we, we live because pretty much still we're not getting out unless it's somewhere we have to go, like, you know, the doctor's office, yeah. been to the dentist's office, grocery store, yeah. places that you kind of have to go. Yeah. And, and, you know, I keep my distance from folk. Yeah. And I wear that mask. Yeah. And so, you know, we've been blessed not to get sick. Yeah. And yeah. it has made me a person that appreciates uh, what I have even more yes. because of this, you know, experience, because, mm-hmm. you know, haven't lost anything, you know, don't have a mortgage to pay. And I I just feel really blessed through all of this. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. That if nothing else, you got to come out on the other side of that, just feeling really blessed for what you got. Yes. What you got. What about you, Pastor Forbes? Well, I pretty much feel the same way as uh, Chief Burwell. You know, 2020 was a, a different year, I would say. Uh, from the standpoint, you know, I like to travel, so I yeah. didn't get opportunity to, to travel. I like to um, socialize, be with people, have fun, and was not able to do that. Uh, as Chief Burrow would say, I had to pretty much stay home 
Um, mm -hmm. I did visit my mom, but I will say that, um, you know, I know some church members that uh, caught COVID and I actually know someone that passed away, two people um, that passed away from COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so when 2021 came in, I, I felt very grateful. Right. Um, every day that I wake up now, the first thing that I try to do is when I wake up and say, thank you, Lord, for another day. Mm -hmm. uh, I think 2020 have taught us not to take things for granted, you yeah. know, because yeah. no matter who you are, uh, no matter um, your financial situation, COVID did not discriminate and it's not discriminating against anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Harmony, you want to you want to tackle it or, you know, it's kind of saving it for my guests, but I'd love to hear from you, though. Um, I think that for me, it's just that you have to you have to ride the wave. You know what I mean? Like life is not this finite destination of either ups or downs. It's really the fluctuation of it. So learning mm -hmm. to be present and conscious as you move through those ebbs and flows of, of human experience and mm -hmm. learning not to judge those states as right or wrong, but merely a reflection of how I'm feeling. Yeah. And then I think the second big thing would be to value every single human connection and interaction. Um, I think right now, especially people are just on edge. Everybody's volatile. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a really crazy time even now, um, mm -hmm. especially with the inauguration being tomorrow. I just feel like people are tense. Yes. Um, so just trying to, I don't know, just find the beauty in every human interaction. I went to get some dinner on Saturday night at this local um, Japanese restaurant and the waitress was worried that I didn't like my soup and I told her I had burnt myself because it was too hot shocker mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and she did the sweetest thing she came back with these this orange half that was like cut up and then she put toothpicks in it for us and she was oh, like these wow. are very very good and I wanted to share them with you oh, and wow. you know what I mean maybe another time that might have been something that I overlooked but the fact mm -hmm. that two people from two completely different cultures are able to just share in this moment of like communion and gathering for me was very special. So just trying to appreciate those, those moments and, and really look for a chance to create them. Yeah. 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 I, I, thank you. I think all three of us and, and what the running theme for me, and I think for me too, is just, just appreciative, you know, of what I have, and, and who I have um, and taking nothing for and enjoying it. I mean, just and going and enjoying life, you know, how and just a small thing. I mean, just going outside and walking, <laughs> you know, taking the time to enjoy the beauty that's around us because uh, kind of forced me to do more. I mean, I always kind of did that anyway, but now I really pay attention to that. So thank you guys for for that. Was, you know, we're going to try to ask some of our guests some of those questions. So we just got couple of things I just want to run by real quick. Defunding police, that was the last thing that we talked about. And I'm just interested, uh, Jesse and, and Forbes, I mean, we had that conversation and just wondering, you know, if you had some friends that may have listened to that podcast, what their thoughts were about it, um, you know, input from them, um, any, you know, viewpoints that they may have had or was like, well, I didn't know it was like that and that kind of stuff. So just kind of want to just briefly get some input as to if people are, who may have listened to that podcast, did they learn anything from it or are they looking at it through a different lens now? I would say that the people that I spoke to, yes, I think they did learn something from it. Uh, one thing is when we talked about the impact of when you take away one unit, how it can hurt the community. And um, 
most of the, the people that I spoke with, I think they have a different look at it from the standpoint now. They don't think that the police should be defunded, mm-hmm. um, but they do want to see changes mm-hmm. in the police department. Mm-hmm. And I also as well spoke to uh, some that's on the police department. And I can tell you that um, it, it's a difference when you lose a unit or you have to make a switch because you don't have the funding to do what you need to do. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so some of those guys feel like if that happened, that they would not be able to do their job mm-hmm. and serve the community in a way that they should serve the community. Right. Right. Okay. Cool. Mr. Burwell? Yes. Well, the people that I talked to, it a lot depended on their age. Mm. Younger people still like defund. All the people uh, don't want to defund, particularly now, Mm. when like uh, in Durham, you know, I think crime is on the rise a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all the people want to sit down and talk about having real meaningful change in police culture. Right. And younger folk, I'd say in teens and early 20s, defund, you know, so, so so that's pretty much it. It just depends on the age group that Mm -hmm. I talk to. Mm -hmm. The perspective is different. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally get that. I think that's, that's probably just having uh, the ability to have that conversation. So there's a better understanding of what that really means. Cause I was listening to uh, chief Davis, I think it was, I don't know, September. I mean, after we had done this and December, I guess, and she, you know, all the shootings that have been going on. Yes. You know, the retaliatory shooting. Um, And so what she, I don't remember exactly how she said, but basically what I got from her conversation was like, you're you're the community services unit. Mm -hmm. They utilize those individuals in the community services unit. She was reporting to the city council persons and she was basically saying because of all the stuff that's going on, she was taking those individuals and using them to go into the community to give information and disseminate information as to what was going on to the communities, right? And in different parts of the city. And when she said that, I thought about our program, that that's exactly what would not happen if we defund police. Yes. Yeah, so I started thinking that's a perfect example of her not, her using another resource besides the 911 call taker. She's using another unit in the agency, but if we defund, she would not have that capability of sending officers into the community to give out information about their concerns about this, this stuff that's going on. So when you know people may not think about it like that but we just not kind of let people that would be a good example to let people know well you would not know wouldn't get information from the police about the crimes and these shootings that are going on because we defunded and are not there so when it when it starts to hit home like that i think people realize oh, okay now i get it so yeah so i think I mean, we had a pretty good amount of folks that that downloaded that that's um, particular it was running pretty close to the first one that we did with the um, patrol slaves. Mm-hmm. It, it was pushing, I don't know whether we hit 40, but I mean, for me, you know, I know I'm just a little, little podcast, but for me, I was excited. So a lot of people did that. So I appreciate that. Um, so the other thing real quick is, um, 
Capitol Police, this incident, the, uh, the taking over of that from a perspective of law enforcement. Uh, the, the three of us know that there was a catastrophic failure somewhere mm-hmm. <laughs> on preparing for that. Um, whether it was, uh, all, you know, people are talking about, uh, who knows what happened, but there was on the outside looking in, it, it looks like communicate. I mean, I mean, if hotels and businesses are boarding up, that's a clue. They think it's <laughs> nothing else. They're kind of taking a clue from the businesses that something about to happen. And uh, so, yeah, so Harmony, I'll let you go first as to, as far as we kind of, I kind of want to just talk about from, from our perspective, we know that usually you're going to be connecting with other agencies to prepare for something like that. And it's just clear to most of us who are in law enforcement on the outside, something failed miserably. Um, I think from my perspective, it didn't necessarily fail miserably. It uh-huh. was, it happened as it was intended to happen. Okay. Um, you know, there, I, not everybody was in, a, in on it, I don't think, but mm-hmm. like, I don't understand how these people can get through barricades. And I, did you see the photo of like, there were a couple officers moving the barricades and mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Like yes. telling people to come on through mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So even if it was just, you know, those one or two, mm-hmm. it was, they were the first line of defense and it wasn't a failure. That's mm-hmm. what they intended to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's important to make that distinction um, because these people are criminals. Can go I ahead. say something about no, no, that? Go, yeah, go right ahead. So here's what I think happened, Harmony, as um, uh, Deputy Chief was saying, you know, someone from up high, you have to tell those officers what to do, okay? And they should have been better prepared. And I really don't think the front line, from my perspective, the front line officers should be the one that take the hit on this because when you got thousands of people coming at you like they had, it's, it's just impossible. There's no way you can stop them. And so more than likely, even though I wasn't there, but more than likely, someone probably gave them an order to just let the people bypass. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as more video came out, you would see that there was a location where they actually tried to stop the people, but they could not, uh, even to the point where one officer said that, um, he was trying to make the decision, hey, should I pull my gun out and start shooting? But if I do that, then, okay, I'm not only going to get but a certain number, then they're going to take my gun and they're going to kill me. He mm-hmm. says, okay. Then the next thing came to his mind, okay, let me see if I can hit them from the humanity side by saying I have children. So he said once he starts saying I got children, I got children, then what happened was some of the people began to surround him to actually protect him. So I think the higher up, whoever it came from, from the top and probably someone above the chief um, made a decision for them not to be prepared as they should have been. And also keep in mind that the local police, when we're talking about D.C. police, that was on uh, a federal building. So they just can't go on federal property without being invited because there's mm-hmm. like a jurisdiction too. And I think a lot of people is missing that because the news reported that it was like uh, three to five times more arrests for the Black Lives Matter uh, movement mm-hmm. uh, versus this. However, they was talking about D.C. police, but D.C. police wasn't in on the, the front end because they were not invited to be there on the front end. So you're going to have a difference in the arrests. 
But then I guess it begs to question, you know, like you said, why was there not more preparation from the higher ups? You know what I mean? So I feel like people that are seasoned in law enforcement and they have any type of experience with white supremacy, there should be, at least I would hope that there would be some type of natural inclination to know that these types of people tend to be violent. And I guess that that's the type of passiveness that I'm talking about. Because mm-hmm. when the Black Lives Matter protesters were there, there was so much security. Granted, I, I do understand what you're saying about, you know, a federal building, um, but now there's a National Guard. So I, I just don't understand mm-hmm. how these people fail to prepare Um and, and not take white supremacy as the threat um, to, to our country as, as it is. And that, that to me, I think is even more impactful than just the individual officers. It's that systemic high level failure because of how we view black people and then how we view white people. Right, so again, I, I think the, the uh, order came from above the chief because even the chief said that he had reached out to Pentagon and mm-hmm. uh, the help of the National Guard, right? So it's just like in the city of Durham, even though you may have a police chief, but we all know in certain situations, you're going to get your orders from the city council or the city manager. Sure, sure. So who do you think was, I guess, because I don't understand, I guess, the structure. I'm assuming that whoever told them no was probably, was that Trump who said no? we're not going to invoke the National Guard. Do you know who that decision would come from? I'm just, I'm just curious now, since you're talking about the breakdown. Yeah, I'm, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he has um, influence in that. No, he, uh, he, he does, Forbes. I mean, yeah, the, the National Guard cannot shocked. be- Shocked, I'm shocked. Yeah. The, the Only National, I'm not. Yeah, the, and that was, a, that was one of the issues that they were having uh, at mm-hmm. some point. Pence was trying to get in contact because that's National Guard isn't under the vice president's purview. Yeah. The, so the green light had to be given by Trump because it's under his purview and because statehood does not belong to D.C., Right. And so, though, and, and which, you know, to what Harmon is saying, but National Guard were there when he walked across the street and held the Bible upside down, you know, so, but, so they were there for that, but that, that's because he gave the green light for that. So, Correct. you know, so the bottom line is, I think the relationships between DC and, you know, and Jesse knows this, I mean, it's all about getting those MOUs mm-hmm. done prior to. Yes. Yeah, I don't know whether you, you tell heard us what it. that stands for. Oh, MOU. Memorandum of Understanding. It's an okay. agreement. Mutual agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, uh, two or more uh, law enforcement agencies of, okay. of what they agree to do if one needs the other. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and so uh, so based on the little bit I've been you know I've been trying to stay on top of it. You know, you know Richmond and Maryland. I mean, those those guys are probably sitting in idle waiting mm-hmm. for the call. And it just never, it just never came. But, you know, you're right there, you know, why wasn't all that taken care of? So, I mean, I'm sure at some point, you know, there will be a commission. <laughs> it's like they normally do. They'll try to find out what's going on. But uh, it just, it's just not a good look. And it's not a good look that you've got, um, you know, officers inside Capitol Police and inside the Capitol, you know, off-duty police officers. I, I don't, did you guys see that? I thought it was Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, but it was Rocky Mountain, Virginia. So that's not a good look at all. So, yeah. So it's, you know, it just puts more heavy lifting on the backs of law mm-hmm. enforcement. It really is like, how, you know, it's just going to be a lot of work. So anyway, so yeah. Also BJ from, from a millennial perspective, I was reading this, um, <laughs> 
this article about how women in the D.C. area were noticing a lot of like Trump supporters, like Mm -hmm. a very different demographic than they were used to seeing on, I think it was Bumble. And so then they started changing their um, political affiliation from Democrat to Republican so that they could identify these guys that were (gasps) in the Capitol. And some of them were like boasting on the Internet um, to these girls. Some of them had photos of themselves there and they were affording it to the FBI. I don't necessarily know like what the, yeah. you know, what the end game was, but I, no. I just think it's interesting how millennials continue to just use the internet. You, you can't do anything anymore without being caught. Right. You, just, you can't. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Wow. I didn't hear that. That's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, my hat's off to the millennials, secret squirrels, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I was, um, you know, I, I was going to, I'm not going to do it. I was going to talk to my producer, but I think I'm not going to. Did you guys get a chance to listen to the interview with Mr. Jacob Blake, the young man that was shot seven times? Did you guys get a chance to? Yes, I did. Okay. Any, yeah, I saw any, some of it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Any, any comments from you, Jesse? Well, and, and looking at the video, I think he would have fared a lot better if he hadn't kept walking away. Mm. And um, he did have a knife on him, which I think he dropped. Mm-hmm. Then for whatever reason, he he picked it back up. Mm-hmm. I think I remember him saying um, he didn't hear anybody telling him to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, do y'all remember him saying yep, that? Yeah, he said, yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, he said he wasn't thinking and, clearly. Yeah, he wasn't hearing. Yeah, he wasn't thinking clearly. Mm-hmm. I think by, probably they told him to stop, but maybe because he wasn't thinking clearly and he was focused, he wasn't focused on what they were saying. That because I, I just can't. It's hard for me to believe believe that they didn't tell him to stop, get down, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever. <clears throat> And I think it's just my opinion uh, that he may not have gotten shot if he had just kind of stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe got down on the ground if that's told if that's what they indeed told him uh, to do. Mm-hmm. But you know, when he when he kept walking and opened that door. Uh, that's why they're not going to convict anybody, I think, because I think the officers may have truly thought that their lives were in danger, that he was reaching for a firearm. It's just better when you follow police officers' command and when you're in the field like that, and if you think you've been mistreated, then, you know, go through the system to try to get justice later. Because at the end of the day, he could have easily uh, lost his life. And a a lot of people that I've talked to don't understand why the police officer had to shoot him seven times. Yeah, that's excessive. I'm I'm sorry. That's That's excessive. uh, No matter how you say it, that's excessive. That's that's just excessive. Uh, Yeah, it's excessive. So... I don't know. It's just, it's the hard situation. Yeah, it is. And a, a, a lot of the young folk I talked to don't believe uh, they would have shot a white person seven, uh, times. seven times. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Or a white person would have been shot at all. Right. Because there are a lot, it's a lot of clips, video clips out there on the internet of white officers uh, coming in contact with white citizens trying to make an arrest. They're very uncooperative and they don't get shot. Right. So what I try to tell folk like that is, you know, every situation is different. Mm-hmm. Every officer is different. Yeah. So where this officer may not have shot these this white person that he's trying to arrest, another one may have. Right. Because b- believe it or not, police shoot more whites than blacks. And I'm not trying to say that justifies it at all. Right, don't, right, don't right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to say white folk get shot too. Right. But the white community doesn't react the same way. Um, I was looking at uh, a website last night. Uh, it was a database uh, put together by the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. And that database contained records of every fatal shooting in the United States by a police officer in the line of duty since January the 1st of 2015 Mm -hmm. through the end of the current calendar year, which was December 31st, 2020. Right. And it was recently updated. But anyway, over that five-year period, a total of 5,960 people had been fatally shot by by police. Mm Uh, 2,729 of those fatally shot were white, Mm -hmm. 1,424 were black, 998 were Hispanic, 225 were classified as other, and 584, the race was unknown. So of that total amount, that 2,729, uh, 46%, that figure was 40, 46% of the total, and 46% of that total were white. 24% were black. And when you get into percentages, percentages can be kind of tricky. Um, and we are shot from a percentage basis probably a whole lot more than what we should be. When you look at that, we make up only about 13% of the total population, population. in the United States. That's yeah. right. That's right. But they're shooting 24% of us. If that information in the Washington um, Post database is correct, and I, I, I can't vouch for its correctness. Yeah. I mean, everybody uses that data because they've been using it. And, and I mean, that's the, a lot of people refer back to that. I mean, even I, I, have, okay. I have looked at that data. So that that is okay. a database that a lot of people some of the stuff is missing i think they could you know do a little more but at least they give you something to work with so yeah i I, I hear you but yeah and and to just push back on that a little bit it is about the population of black bodies versus you know that's what we're talking about it's like right we're not that much of the u.s but statistically we're we're the ones that are getting shot the most so forbes you got any comment about the um video um yeah, I I agree with uh, pretty much mostly what uh, you and Chief Burwell were saying, uh, but I will say um, 
I know they said he shot the, shot uh, Jacobs seven times. Mm -hmm. I think he actually was shot five times. The officer pulled the trigger seven times. So I don't okay. think um, the I, I don't think he actually was hit seven times. Okay, but, I hadn't heard that. Uh, yeah, but a different. Well, I, I saw one night on um, CNN where his um, okay attorney was talking. Okay, the attorney said seven times, and then when the commentator asked him, he said, well, "Okay, he was hit five times, but shot it." Okay, but. One, one, I guess a different look I want the people to understand is because I've been in a situation like this before. Mm -hmm. you really, truly, and, and I'm not speaking for this officer, but myself. So I don't know, you know, what was in his mind if he was just, you know, <clears> putting the, <throat> he felt like the, the um, Jacob failed or what the situation was. Mm -hmm. Either way, it's a bad situation, but I'm glad he did survive. And, um, and that's, that's pretty much my point of view on that okay i think what i'm trying to figure out is i mean he he made a couple of comments he said i did resist he resisted because he didn't want the, the officer's head on his neck he mm -hmm. pulled the tasers the prongs out of him you know I, you know from a learning perspective i guess for the work that i do you know i would love to know you know because i want my child to come home mm -hmm. you know and, you know there there kind of is a clue if you're being hit with tasers, the officers need you to stop doing whatever it is you're doing. Right. And and then he actually admits to, I wasn't thinking clearly, you know, and I get that. And I, and I guess I want, you know, when I do my work and I use this as an example of, you know, the reason that I do what I do is to try to help you slow down to think clearly. So you don't end up either dead or spend the rest of your life inside of a wheelchair. Right. You know, so BJ, can I add my social worky perspective to it really quickly? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, I, I think of Black people um, and their experiences with police officers. I'll be honest with you, anytime I see a police get behind me, even if it, you know, their lights aren't on, I'm nervous and I feel like my heart has like sank into my stomach yeah. literally every yeah. single time. And I've never had any type of run-in with the police. I got pulled over one time because my tags, tags were expired for like a year. Yeah. He was super nice, told me what I needed to do, you know, how I could get it thrown out. You know, I've never had any type of really bad experiences, mm -hmm. but I think it goes to show just how instinctual it is for black folks to run. Um, I don't know if anybody's heard of jo Dr. Joy Degree, but she has mm -hmm. this theory called post-traumatic slave syndrome mm -hmm. that essentially says that a lot of our reactions and behaviors are almost like primal or a part of our evolution as a people. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also, you know, just like the officer may have been scared for his life, especially when this guy is making all of these movements, dropping the knife, picking the knife up. I can only imagine how he felt as a person of color, as anybody that's relatively conscious. I think we are constantly bombarded with this, this I, I would call it an epidemic, honestly, of, of police brutality, um, especially mm -hmm. over the summer. You couldn't go anywhere. The only thing you could do was watch TV. Right. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people were, were really moved by the video of George Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. That causes a lot of secondhand trauma. And so yes. I wonder, you know, yes. that I'm not thinking clearly how much of that <laughs> is anxiety. Yes. I don't want his neck on my head. Maybe that was his way of saying, I want to get home. I yes. want to get home. Yeah. So I think it's important to remember that, um, you know, trauma has a way of making you not think clearly. Right. Adrenaline has a way of 
almost making you sort of like superhuman, you know, adrenaline does that. Um, And in addition to that, I want to reiterate this for people that may be listening to this, because we do talk a lot about black bodies um, and we are all Mm -hmm. people of color. But I think what it, what's important to remember is that this anti-police um, brutality and defunding the police narrative is not only for Black people, it's for white people, Hispanic people, Asian people. It just so happens that just like every other civil rights movement in this country, Black people have carried have carried the weight of it. They've done the work, and this is typical for for Black folks. So mm-hmm. just because it's not necessarily, quote unquote, focused on white folks, just mm-hmm. like anything that Black people have done in this country, it has ultimately been for the advancement of white folks as well. Right. Totally agree. Thank you, social worker. What can I say? <laughs> I need I need something that just says social justice warrior. I uh, know. We need to change your name in the bottom of your thing. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, you know what? I appreciate that because you're right. Because I, I have to kind of check myself when I say, you know, I need you to kind of not, I need you to think calmly. Because you're right. I mean, even I get a gut feeling when the popo pulls up behind me. I think we and all you are do. the popo. And I am the popo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, and not so much that they're going to do me any harm. It's just like, damn, you know, so that's kind of the feeling. But I also have to understand that there, that other Black folks' journey and interaction with law enforcement is a whole hell of a lot different than mine. And for him in that moment, like you said, it's with all the other trauma and not just the trauma that he's dealing with in law enforcement perspective, but the trauma of being oppressed by other systems. Right, exactly. You know, exactly. so that, that people are just dealing with it and it's like, oh, just one more system is beating me down and I've just got to, you know, get to where I got to get. So anyway, I just wanted to thank you guys for just talking about that. So I'm going to get ready to kind of tighten this up because um, one of the last I've got to go back to work. Oh, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> no, you got you going to have lunch. I know what you're getting ready to do. <laughs> so also, you know, just so everybody knows, this is going to be a recurring uh, show for us on UN50. And it's, gone, it's called We Are Allies, uh, made up of individuals who work with the Durham Police Department and, and law enforcement officers, because one of the things that I have recognized during my time going into spaces trying to make difference in the community, that some community members do not see Black officers as allies. And we are. Um, I was Black before I became a popo, and believe it or not, I'm still Black. And so... Uh, <laughs> So we have stuff to offer. We've seen things, we know things, and, and we're here as allies um, to, to offer people some insight, different perspective. You won't always agree with our perspective. And even those of us in this conversation won't probably agree with, with some of the things that each of us say. So just so you know that we are allies as part of UN50, that we will be coming back periodically. In fact, uh, we're gonna be doing a live show on March 30th at 7 p.m. Uh, so hopefully you'll join that to be able to ask us any questions that you would like to, to ask. But we will be doing this uh, maybe three or four times through the year, through the end of the year, uh, that we will be getting together to talk about different things and different topics. Uh, but it is going to be decided. Well, talked about it with, with Jesse and, and Forbes that we're going to call it We Are Allies. And again, because as Black folks who have been in law enforcement, work with law enforcement, um, we won't we love the community just as much as those out there trying to, to make the change and, and those 
in those communities. Hey, so, PJ, before you before you close it out, I was going to say, you know, you said that I'm believe it or not, I'm still black. You do look a little washed out to me. Um, so <laughs> for the untrained eye, they may not know that you're black. So you might need to get some better lighting next time because that's not, I, you know. <laughs> Thank I said you. what I said. Yeah. <laughs> I still love you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, I am kind of washed out. So anyway, so thank you very much. I think I really appreciate Jesse and, and Forbes. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for wanting to be a part of UN50. And uh, we really appreciate it. Harmony, thank you very much as always for your input and your insight that I love. And um, so we wish all of you uh, the best. So we'll see you tonight, the next time. So and always stay well, stay safe. Peace. <laughs>